Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church, North Adelaide. You can find more great things like this at citylight.church slash North Adelaide. Psalm 34. Of David, when he pretended to be insane before Abimelech, who drove him away, and he left. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to blot out their name from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones, not one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked, the foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord will rescue his servants, no one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. And we'll go on to our New Testament reading, which is from John chapter 4, starting at verse 3 uh, on page 1651. So Jesus left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so they won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. 
You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is Spirit and his worshippers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labour. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told him everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you had said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. Thanks for reading, Ellen. Um, please keep uh, John chapter 4 open in front of you as we keep cruising through our January series called Seeking God. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we saw that seeking, uh, God is seeking our whole hearts. Uh, last week, we thought of how God is seeking the lost. Today, we think about how God is seeking worshippers, and we'll be thinking about that in the context of John chapter 4. Um, I do this all the time. I get you to talk to the person next to you about something slightly random. Uh, we've just come out of a few days of really hot weather here in Adelaide, um, which has you know, been a kind of a nice change not to have these huge heat waves, but it, it got pretty hot, and I'm sure you got thirsty during the last couple of days, and you just thought you needed something really to quench your thirst. I want you to turn to the person next to you. What is the drink, what's the beverage you go to on a hot day to quench that you know, almost unquenchable thirst? Um, turn to the person next to you. What is your go-to quenching beverage? Go, I'll give you a minute to talk about that with the person next to you. All right, let's come back together. Anyone want to share what's their thirst-quenching beverage of choice on a 39-degree day in dry old Adelaide? Anyone? Anyone? Water. Classic, good one. It's the best, they say. <laughs> Anything else? What's that? Cordial. Got a particular flavour? Fruit cup. Yeah, right. Very exotic. Yeah. Nice. Anything else? Coconut juice. Coconut. Yeah, it's very hipster. Yeah. <laughs> coconut, coconut juice. Chilled? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Very good. Very good. Anyone else? No, that's all right. Um, that's fine. Uh, I, we did this, we do, we're doing these little things called summer collectives, and we hiked up Mount Lofty yesterday and hiked back down, and I was pretty thirsty by the bottom, and I was, went to a little cafe together, and I was really, like, I was halfway down, I was going, I just want this particular juice from this base camp cafe, and I ordered it, and it came to the table, and it was, it was kind of lukewarm. It was, wasn't cold enough, and I was too knackered to get up and ask for ice. So I sort of, anyway, but it did, it was tasty, but anyway. Um, 
Thanks for sharing. We, um, we, I just want to start by saying we are a church here that, where we want to encourage one another to bring our whole selves to church and um, not kind of hide things, you know, sort of under the carpet, but bring them out to the light. And uh, I just want to say, like, I, the last week for me and my family's been really hard. Um, my, um, my mother-in-law, many of you know, my mother-in-law had a fall uh, and uh, she broke her hip um, and she's recovering really well, but that was just a pretty, you know, adrenaline you know, heightening kind of moments, and uh, she's doing all right, um, but I think the long haul sort of now starts, really, of her rehab, and sort of in the mix of all that, I got a call from my mum as well to say that my uncle uh, was also really unwell in hospital in northern Victoria. Um, he'd been reaching into the bin, uh, pulled out a bag of rubbish, and somehow fractured his arm in that process. He went to hospital, and they discovered as well, not connected to that, but he'd also fractured his hip, um, sort of several weeks ago, and that sort of went unnoticed. Sort of um, and then they also discovered through his body, just riddled with cancer as well. And uh, so um, my mum was over there sort of helping to negotiate that with him. And I just feel like I've had a really distracting week um, of lots of things in my mind and in my heart. And uh, as a result of that, my sermon prep's been pretty average um, and it's a bit sort of all over the place. And so I just wanted to say today, I've sort of lent on people a bit more than I normally do for this message in terms of just ideas and structure and that sort of stuff. So I just want to let you know, um, you know, that's where I'm at today. So um, would you pray with me as we come to God's word? Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you that you are in control of all things. We thank you that we can bring our whole selves to you our failures, our flaws, all of our foibles, all of our joys, our griefs, our sorrows, our victories. Father, we thank you and praise you for your kindness, that you meet us where we're at and you long to draw us more deeply into yourself. So, Father, we pray now as we do look at your word that, Father, you would minister to us through your word by your spirit Encourage us, strengthen us, remind us afresh of your amazing grace. And Father, I pray that each one of us here today would just be refreshed in our worship of you. Perhaps some of us worshipping you in spirit and truth for the first time. Maybe for those of us who've gone a bit sleepy or a bit racked and riddled with doubt, that we would afresh come to you as the saviour of the world. And Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. There is a myth in our country, in our culture, that religious people or worshippers go to churches or go to religious venues on weekends to praise their imaginary deity, pouring out their affections, pouring out their attention to him. So there's those who go to churches or religious venues. There's also the other group of people, the more enlightened people, who don't bother with that sort of stuff anymore. And on Sundays, they don't go to churches or religious venues, they go to cafes to eat eggs benedict, drink soy decaf lattes, or go to the park and walk their puppies. But it's a false dichotomy, because everybody is a worshiper. Everybody is a worshiper. Why, how? Well, according to Tim Keller, worship is the act of ascribing ultimate value to something or someone in a way that energizes and engages your whole being. Worship, he says again, is the act of attribute, ascribing, attributing ultimate value to something, someone, in a way that energizes and engages your whole being, your whole person. And everyone in our city is doing this. Everyone is worshiping something or someone. One commentator writes, everyone has a God in the sense that everyone puts something first in one's life, money, power, self, prestige, career, or love. There must be something in your life that operates as a source of meaning and strength that you regard as the supreme power in your life. There's not religious people and enlightened people. There are worshippers worshipping something in some way, shape, or form. And the challenge for all of us in modern life is that when we worship things that are not actually ultimate, not actually transcendent, those things tend to kind of like disappoint, let us down, lead to disillusionment. Uh, Philip Yancey says this, 
A society that denies the supernatural usually ends up elevating the natural to supernatural status. And we see this. People laying down their lives for romantic love. People laying down their lives, sacrificing everything for work or looking to their favorite sports team for satisfaction and fulfillment. Trouble is, they don't actually satisfy. Because there are passions, desires, there are longings within us, within us human beings, longings that are too big for this world to fulfill. And that's why the Bible says that God has placed in each of our hearts eternity. And as Christians, we claim that God is the only one who can satisfy that longing. Here's a big idea for us today. Share it up front and then I'll try and back it up and you can tell me at the end if I've succeeded or not. Here's a big idea. God is committed to satisfying your deepest desires by thrilling you with himself. God is determined. God is committed to fulfilling, to satisfying your deepest, most heartfelt longings by thrilling you with himself. And there's no better text, I reckon, in the Bible that teaches us this than John chapter 4 in Jesus' beautiful encounter with the woman at the well. So if you've closed your Bible, I'd love you to open it up again to John chapter 4. Some of the words will be on the screen. But the first thing I want us to see in this passage is the distance that the living God will go to to stir up worship and to satisfy human beings' longings. The distance he'll go to. God has this passion for worship and he has this passion to create worshippers and his passion for that is off the charts it's like off the scale so have a look John chapter 4 and verse 4 now he had to go through Samaria Jesus had to go through Samaria so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph Jacob's well was there and Jesus tired from his long journey sat down by the well it was about noon When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. If you've been around church a little while, if you've read your Bible a bit from time to time, you'll know, you might be familiar with, there's a little bit of history and a bit of tension between the Jews and the Samaritans, right? The Samaritans were formerly part of the people of God who were caught up in the fallout and stuff from the exile when the superpower of Syria came down and sort of conquered the northern part of Israel. They transplanted people from all over the world and settled them into Jerusalem with the goal of not only kind of smashing people militarily, but also by kind of conquering them socially and religiously. So the Assyrians come down, they seek to corrupt and dilute God's covenant people. The Jews who were left in the land, some of them kind of gave in, intermarrying, diluting their kind of covenant faith in Yahweh. And so faithful Jews kind of grew to hate the Samaritans. The Samaritans, according to them, they'd compromised and they were hated for it. So it's not simply a Samaritan woman And Jesus isn't simply in Samaria, it's also a woman who is before Jesus. Respectable men of the day in this time would never be seen having a one-to-one catch-up in the middle of the wilderness with a woman. A rabbi, a Jewish teacher, for sure, most definitely wouldn't be having a conversation like this. And there's no way they'd have a conversation in Samaria with a woman in Samaria, from Samaria. This is totally culturally inappropriate, but it reveals something utterly breathtaking for us. There is no cultural barrier or distance too far for God to find you in order to bring your heart and soul to worship. There is no distance, there is no cultural barrier too far for God to not find you and bring your heart and soul to worship. How great is his love? How great is the distance? How strong his passion? The categories did not stop him. The distance did not stop Jesus. The stigma did not stop Jesus. 
God is passionate about reaching people wherever they are, from wherever they are. And when Jesus closes that gap and initiates this encounter, Jesus makes an amazing offer to this woman about worship. Have a look at verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from himself and did also his sons and his livestock? Verse 13, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to drink, to draw water. Jesus is standing there with this woman in front of a well and he's using a physical reality to address a deeper spiritual longing. The well, by the way, that's spoken of here in John 4 actually exists. Here's a picture of it. Then coming up, there's the well. Um, It's in the city of Nablus uh, in the West Bank. Um, And that church on the left is kind of built over the top. And the actual well, like this historical validity to say that's the well, and it's in the basement underneath this church that's built over the top. Um, You can visit the well. um, You can go down the well. A a person I know went down into the well, and there was this Orthodox priest and said, would you like a cup of water? And this person said, yes, please. And so drank the water, went outside. It was like a stinking hot day. He needed more water after that wasn't quite thirst-quenching enough. Um, But wells are actually really significant in the Bible. I don't know if you know this. They're not just like historical little artifacts. They have great meaning culturally and spiritually. When you go through the Bible, um, particularly through the Old Testament, like the one referred to in John chapter 4 by this woman, wells are actually a place um, historically where women would gather. Um, In a male-dominated society, the well was a place where women would gather together, would draw water, um, but also build relationships. It was a space in a a male-dominated culture uh, for women to go. But what if you're a woman and you're not welcome at that place? What if you're a woman and because of what you've done, you're shunned, you're shamed, you can't go there? how lonely, how isolating it must be. You're living with a man who is not your husband. Cultural shame. And the women won't welcome you. A bit more on wells. Abraham's servant returned north to Haran looking for a wife for Isaac and he found a local well. So he goes there where he meets Rebecca. Massive part of salvation history. Likewise, Moses, the great Moses, who fled to Midian, went to a well, and there he met the daughters of Jethro, and one of those became his wife. Again and again and again, people gather around wells as a source of life, but also they gather around wells and marriages start. Marriages are arranged at wells, and in our passage, John chapter 4, we have a woman shunned unable to access the well because she's in a mess relationally. She doesn't know this yet, but what's about to happen? The God of the universe is going to welcome her in, not simply to restore her access to a temporary source of water, but he's going to bring her in to be part of his bride. She's invited to the marriage of the living God at a well. Huh? It's amazing. Full inclusion, full restoration, and satisfaction of her thirst. It's living water. And all of the imagery in the Bible, which I'm also sure you're familiar with when it comes to water, is bound up with the wonderful promises of God to satisfy the thirst of every human being, to quench our parched souls. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, God is utterly heartbroken. His people, Israel, they're disobedient. They've forsaken God, who is the fountain of living water. And they've preference broken cisterns and that cannot hold water. Later in Jeremiah, he warns the people that all who forsake the Lord will be put to shame, for they've forsaken the fountain of living water. Psalm 36, verse 9, God is the source of our salvation. He alone is the fountain of life. The book of Isaiah, Isaiah, pardon the pun, is flooded 
with images and invitations to come and drink. Everyone who is thirsty, come to the waters without with joyous sounds. You can draw waters from the springs of salvation. The promise of Ezekiel 36, the Lord says, I will give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit in you. I'll wash you from your iniquity and all of your idolatry. And guess what? The Bible closes, Revelation 22, with this invitation. Anyone who is thirsty, let them come and drink freely of the water of life. This woman doesn't know it. She's there to sort out a, a temporary social problem. Jesus is about to sort out an eternal problem in her life. And Jesus promises this, you'll be satisfied and you'll never thirst again. I'll meet your deepest needs. We all have needs, don't we, in every area of our life? Relational needs, work needs. We read in this passage, right, this woman has a, a deep need, a deep longing in her heart. She's just burning through men, through relationships. Jesus says, I have something that will meet that need, meet your, meet your deepest need. And this is why Christians, this is why we, if you're here today and you love Jesus and you call yourself a follower of Jesus, that's why even though what we teach and what we believe might be mocked or treated with ever-increasing suspicion in our culture today, that is why we Christians are still this day standing up and holding out a picture of Jesus to the world. Why? Because we know in our hearts that everyone in this city Everyone, what they're looking for is only going to be met in the person of Christ. You know, you might hear that and you go, yeah, but the church, the church is full of hypocrites, Jacko. I didn't say the church would fulfill your deepest longings of your heart because the church is just full of what? People like you, like me, who can't meet the deepest longings of our heart. It's Jesus. It's himself. People say to me, Jacko, there are so many people destruct, you know, deconstructing their faith. Do you ever doubt? Do you ever wrestle with your faith, Jacko? Do you think one day you'll just walk away? You know what my answer is? I'll never walk away. And they kind of say to me, that's a bit arrogant. Why not? I say, I'll never walk away because it's not based on my certainty. It's not based on some kind of, you know, my own performance. It's based on this. I've tasted what the world has to offer. And it's not as thirst-quenching. It's not as soul-satisfying as the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm staying the course because Jesus is better than anything out there. It's true, yeah? Do you agree? The trouble is, so often, though, we've rerouted these longings of our hearts into false things. We've drawn from false wells, dodgy wells, that Jesus has to come and confront those false wells before we can get the living water. I don't know, maybe so far this morning as we've been looking at God's word, you've been thinking, yes, yeah, Jesus, living water. Jesus truly satisfies. You've been thinking that, and now I want to talk to you about sin, and you're like, no, 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 no. Can we just not, can we not go there? Just the Jesus truly satisfies bit. But here's the thing. Worship is not just an invitation. Worship is a confrontation. Jesus goes in, right? He's poking around now. Have a look at John chapter 4, verse 19. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we meet, must where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the, Jew, from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. Remember 722 BC, 
the northern kingdoms captured by the Assyrians, repopulated by all kinds of people, and God's people compromised. Syncretism became a thing, right? Mixing their belief in Yahweh and sort of covenantal ritual practices with all kinds of pagan worldly stuff wasn't pleasing to God, and so this massive hostility sort of opens up. The Samaritans actually didn't really believe in most of what we know of the Old Testament. They believed in sort of Genesis through to Deuteronomy, the Torah. They rejected like the Psalms and the history and all the kings and things like that. Didn't think much of David, therefore, in Jerusalem. They set up an alternative worship system. They built a new temple on a place called Mount Gerizim and operated their own way of worshipping. And when the Jews had the opportunity in 128 BC, they attacked Samaria burned down the temple, destroyed Mount Gerizim, deep cultural hatred. So there's a sense, right, with this particular woman. She's stuck in a false theological paradigm. Jesus has to confront this because worship is about spirit and truth. Hear this, right? Pure worship will always reject man-made compromises. In other words, simply being sincere is not enough. There are loads of people in our world who are sincerely wrong. There can be people who are deeply passionate, totally sincere, but who are sincerely wrong. Yeah, you've probably met, I think you've met some of these people. Everyone believes in God, however you decide to define him. People are open to the universe. I was in Melbourne last weekend um, with the family. We survived a road trip. Um, didn't kill each other. The five of us arrived back in Adelaide without too many wounds. But I was in Melbourne and um, I had a chat with a person there in Burke Street Mall, Melbourne, about, you know, sort of struck up a conversation. What, did you, what do you do? I said, I'm a pastor. Sometimes that goes one of two ways. Sometimes people just walk away, like go, oh, I don't know what to do with a pastor. This person said, oh, really? I'm a spiritual person. So what do you believe in? Oh, the universe. I'm like, right. Does the universe ever ask you to do anything? No, the universe never asked me to do anything. It's lovely. I said, the universe is not for you. I said, I've watched enough National Geographic, right, to know that big animals eat little animals. She just walked away at that point. Anyway, you know, she was sincere, but like, not arrogantly, but she was wrong. Worship has to be in spirit and truth. The truth is made clear by the revelation of the person of Jesus. Fleming Rutledge, I love Fleming Rutledge. She says this, the world's religion, I think it's coming up on the screen. Yeah, there she is. The world's religions have certain traits in common, but until the gospel of Jesus Christ burst upon the Mediterranean, no one in the history of human imagination had conceived of such a thing as the worship of a crucified man. The question is not God or spirituality or the universe, it's about Jesus. And Jesus will always come in and look for the points of error so that we can worship in a way that's pleasing to him. It's very popular in our culture today to just to say, you do you. Do you use that, you do you? My daughter, Stella, 11, love her. She's grown up too fast, but she's like, Dad, you do you. And I'm like, I hate that phrase, Stella. She's like, Dad, get with the program. I'm like, no, you get with the program. You do you. You believe what you believe. Sincerity is not enough because Jesus wants to bring truth. And this is where it gets even harder, brothers and sisters. Jesus will confront the sin that is stopping us from worshipping him in spirit and in truth. This one is hard. But isn't Jesus merciful? Yeah, he's so merciful. He's going to remove the sin that's corrupting you. What does the woman say in this story? She says to Jesus, I'd like some living water. What does Jesus say? Go get your husband. I want some living water. Go get your husband. Surely up until this point, she was thinking, this is going really well. This is going really well. Do you have living water? No, I said, go get your husband. I don't know, what, what she, I wonder what the woman is feeling and thinking at this point. So much hope. Here's this Jewish leader, this rabbi, speaking to her, showing her concern in the middle of nowhere, talking to me about living water. Oh, but as usual, as usual, it always comes back to this. I can't get past my past. 
But Jesus knows this. And he knows that the wells she's been drinking from and the wells she's been wanting haven't worked for her. And he's offering her something better, but she's got to acknowledge it. And this is one of the things, right? Most people in their relationship with God, their journey with God experience this. It goes like this. Wow, Jesus, you're amazing. And Jesus goes, yeah, I am. And then he goes, but you know what? I want to confront all your brokenness and all your sin and all your flaws and all your foibles and all the mess. And people are like, no, nah. But that's what love is, isn't it? Confronting the things that are untrue, confronting the things that destroy us and distort us and mess with our hearts. And Jesus goes there. Let me just say this. If you're exploring the personal work of Jesus and you love right now that Jesus is light and love and life and joy and hope and freedom, that's so true. And I want you to stick with that and hang there. I also want you to know that Jesus is holy and he's just and he hates sin and he loathes evil. And he loves you so much that he won't let those things eat you up and crush your spirit. He wants them gone. Go get your husband. What would Jesus say to you? What would Jesus say to me? Go get your... Go bring your... Can we have a talk to you about... At that point, I think we might be tempted to kind of shrink back in fear of what might happen. Though Jesus confronts us, brothers and sisters, he doesn't condemn us. Isn't that wonderful? He confronts us, but he won't condemn us. Jesus did not leave the glory of heaven, didn't come to planet Earth, reveal himself to the world as the Messiah, wander through Samaria, find this woman in Samaria covered in shame, only to hold her face down in the shame. He came to free her from it, restore her dignity, and embrace her in the midst of it. It's beautiful. Um, some of you might know the woman Jackie Hill Perry. Um, she's written this really great book called Holier Than Thou. I can recommend this for some January reading, February reading, March reading, April reading, whenever you get to it. Get to this book. It's a great book. She's a wonderful gift to the worldwide church. But she writes this. Could it be that God would not have me going about the rest of my life believing that these lesser forms of love were the real thing? Perhaps this love he filled to the brim with was pouring over into his dealings with me. And perhaps this love was compelling him on the basis of grace and undeserved love to help me see that every person, place or thing that I loved more than him could not keep its promise to love me eternally. If you know anything about Jackie Hill Perry, you know that she got pulled out of a whole lot of stuff, a whole lot of things. But if you follow her life, listen to the lyrics that flow from her life. Listen to the words that fill her books. Look at the joy that oozes out of her as Jesus in love confronted her life and the change has been phenomenal. God the Father is seeking worshippers and he'll deal with bad theology, dodgy wells and deal with sin. Why? To give rise to true worship. I quoted Tim Keller earlier where he said, worship is the act of ascribing ultimate value to something or someone in a way that energizes and engages your whole person, your whole being. Well, check out what happens in this story. Chapter 4, verse 25. The woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. It doesn't actually say that in the Greek. It says, I am it's a moment in the gospel where Jesus basically says, you know the Messiah you've been looking for? You know the king of the world who you've been longing to come? You know the God who you think you worship? It's me. Imagine that moment. Imagine that moment. What I love about this, right, Jesus is wanting to see that the primary issue is not for her a fight between the Jewish community and the Samaritan community, though there is truth about the origin of salvation and where you stand. But Jesus in this moment is just upgrading her vision of the new covenant. 
and saying it's all fulfilled in me. We're going to do John's gospel uh, starting in February, leading up all the way into Easter. But you see this going on all the time in John's gospel, right? So in John chapter 2, Jesus does what? He turns water into wine at a wedding. Why? Because he's bringing celebration out of ceremonial formalism of religion. What does he do when he confronts Nicodemus in the next chapter, chapter 3? Hey, you have a teacher of the law, and Jesus says, my teachings are superior to yours. And then later on, Jesus goes into the temple and shockingly, he says to the people in the temple, I'm going to tear down this thing and within three days, I'm going to rebuild it. And guess what? It's all about me. This system is going to be replaced by a person. The whole time, Jesus is trying to upgrade her vision. And in this passage, Jesus is saying, I'm better than Jacob's well. I'm better than all the traditions. I am the fulfillment of all the traditions. See me for who I am. And guess what? She does. This is amazing, right? She recognizes Jesus. And the elevation of the person of Jesus through this encounter is staggering, right? Have a look. Listen to this. It starts off. She recognizes. She says, it's Jesus, right? Then it goes to, oh, and you're a Jew. Then to a sir, and then to a chat about him being a prophet, and then talk about him being the Messiah, and then he says, I am, then it's teacher, rabbi. By the end, what does she say? You are the savior of the world. She goes through every category of who Jesus could be and lands with you're the savior of the world, the one who we've waiting for. That's what worship is about, seeing Jesus as ultimate dying on the cross for our sin, rising again on the third day, defeating sin and death and Satan and hell, ascending to the right hand of the Father by God's grace, pouring out the long-promised Holy Spirit. And the only thing you can do if you give the Gospel of John a fair reading is say, this truly is the Saviour of the world. That's the journey you go through. And here's the thing. So many people missed it. But this Samaritan woman saw it. And the fruit of it is celebration. She runs into the village and says, verse 29, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Like, that's good news. Like, that. if someone said, I know everything you've ever done, I'm like, oh my gosh, where's the exit button? Like, she's running into the village. I met someone who told me everything I've ever done. It's good news. She says, I got exposed by God. The power of all this is that she is no longer ashamed of what her story. Her story doesn't disqualify her anymore. Actually, her story qualifies her to be an ambassador, a witness, to testify to the amazing grace of God. Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. And all the others say, this man is the saviour of the world. It's celebration time. Something great has happened in her life. She's public. She's filled with joy. She is celebrating. Anyone seen The Chosen? Anyone seen The Chosen? Yeah, it's a, I don't know if you know about this. It's a crowd-funded kind of multiple episodes kind of trying to you know, dramatise the life and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's quite amazing. I, I think it's a really great resource to have and to have your Bible open as you read it. It's wonderful. But anyway, like to kind of capture the vibe of this particular moment, I jumped on and I typed in Samaritan woman meeting Jesus, the chosen. And like, it was really cool. Like the seven minute section popped up on YouTube and I was like, yeah. So I sat back. It was amazing, right? There are parts of it which I don't think they kind of maybe zoomed in enough on, but like, there's this moment, right? She's just, they, they capture it. She's running back to the village, this woman going, this man, he told me everything I ever did. I had tears coming down my eyes. Here's a woman rejected by society, but brought right in by the love and grace of God. Many of you know that I became a Christian in part through a man named Ralph. Um, I met Ralph when I was out riding my bike in the Adelaide Hills. I can tell you that over a coffee another time. But I met Ralph. Um, Ralph wouldn't be sad if I told you this. Ralph is like a raving Pentecostal. Yeah? And if you're a raving Pentecostal, welcome to City Light Church North Adelaide today. You're really welcome to be here. He was part of a, uh, this, like quite a large Pentecostal church um, down in the southern suburbs of Adelaide. 
Well, I, went, I started going to church with Ralph when I'd sort of, you know, I came to Christ through him and I started going to church with him. Um, one of the things that kind of like was a bit overwhelming and struck me and kind of, I don't know, hindered me early was like their Pentecostal worship on Sunday mornings. Um, like it was OTT, right? It was off the charts, right? Um, you know, this is like Penty worship, late 90s, early 2000s, right? We're talking not just flags, we're talking synth, we're talking everything, and we're talking like the pastor at the front, kind of, you know, people, unless there's a guy just playing pads on the keyboard, and then the, the worship pastor's like, just everyone just stand up and sing your own love song to God. It was not the greatest sound, let's just say. But it was just like, whoa, like, what's going on here, right? Um, I was like, nah, this is, this is too much. Like, I'm Allgate, Adelaide Hills conservative, Simon, you know. But take me to a Richmond football game. Oh, my goodness, I'm there. I'm screaming. I'm carrying on. I've got crazy clothes on. I've got a flag. I've got go dusty. I'm, you know, I'm high-fiving everyone, hugging people I've never met before. I've got my children next to me going, is that you, Dad? Like, you know, like, yeah, all this physical response going on. And yet I recall, I recall this vividly one day in my home in Allgate. I was a pretty brand new Christian. I remember this moment where I was just like worshipping on my own. Um, I'm talking like late 90s Hillsong, emu music. Shout to the Lord, all the earth, let us sing. Sing it with me. Power and majesty, praise to the king. You know, darling, check. Woo! Oh, this wicked stereo system had a CD player. Half of you probably don't even know what CDs are. <laughs> had this DG function where you could like, you know, vuk, vuk, vuk with, with Darlene, it was awesome. You have her on loop, it was really cool. I remember cranking it, right? Cranking it in my bedroom. And I had this like amazing sense of God's presence, right? The Lord just involuntarily calling me and causing me to kind of worship, dare I say, Penty style swaying, hands in the air. I was leaping so that my fingers were touching the ceiling in my room. I was jumping for joy. Why? Because of my newfound salvation was finding expression through celebration. God came down to connect this Samaritan woman to the Father through himself so she could drink living water and be satisfied. It's beautiful. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, the ultimate test of our spirituality is the measure of our amazement at the grace of God. I reckon we've got to get a fresh sense of wonder and amazement. We've got to get up close to Jesus. I think God wants us to kind of break the grip maybe of respectable worship. I'm not talking personality here. I feel like as I get older, I'm kind of becoming more introverted, right? I'm not talking about personality It's about our heart response. And again, Martin Lloyd-Jones says, a characteristic of dead orthodoxy is a dislike of enthusiasm. I think what God is saying to us today is, come closer. See again. Get the vision. See afresh the wonder, the beauty, the mercy, and the grace of Jesus. Come back to his word. Be amazed. When you get into his word, you're in the presence of God, and he'll thrill you. I'll stop talking in a moment, but um, we have a, I mentioned this the other day, we've got a, co, we've got a, a church office in a co-working space, right? Um, I'm the only pastor in the space. Half people don't know what to do with me. Like, they kind of go the long way around, you know? But, like, I'm sitting there sometimes just reading the word, you know? Like, I'm in John's gospel at the moment. It's just like, it's all over me. And, like, I, I've actually done this because I have headphones on, like when I'm, I'm like sometimes it's cranking trance music. Like, so I can't remember. I don't even know what's going. On. Sometimes I'll just read something and go, "Wow, Jesus is the savior of the world. He's living water." And like people will kind of look at me, like I just get overwhelmed, right? You ever had that? Because you're in the presence of God as you read His word. I'm just like thrilled. You know, Jesus doesn't promise that church programming will satisfy the deepest needs of your heart. He promises that he will. And he's inviting us in. I don't know where you are today. Maybe you're here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus and you're like, whoa, like who brought me here today? It feels like a setup. Maybe it is. And I'm not even sorry if it's a setup. 
I'm glad you're here. Because maybe God loves you enough to confront those faulty, dodgy wells that you're drinking from. And he actually wants to say to you today, come and drink from me. I'll give you living water. Maybe you've grown up in the church, you've wandered around the city for a little while and people are saying it's really good out there but you're realising it's just not as good as what they promised and you want to come back to Jesus. You know what? You can come back. Just say to Jesus, I want your living water again. Maybe you're here today and you're a bit sceptical of enthusiasm. You're a bit dry. Maybe just ask the Lord, give me, give me the living water. Freshen me up with your, your grace. I said in week one of this series that I long for us to be a church that's wholehearted, undivided in our devotion to Jesus. I long for us to be a church who's passionate about worship of Christ because he's ultimate. Should we pray? Let's pray. Maybe just in the quiet of your heart, come to the Lord wherever you find yourself, whether it's wanting to taste and drink of that living water for the first time. Maybe you're drawing from wells that you know don't satisfy and by God's spirit you've been drawn to Jesus today. For those here who've wandered and are realising the world out there is not as good as promised, I pray that you'd come back and receive Jesus' invitation of living water afresh. And Father, for those of us who perhaps know our Bibles really well, but have gone, grown dry, Father, freshen us with your grace. And Father, may you, by your Spirit, help each one of us to see Jesus as ultimate and indeed to worship him in spirit and truth. Father, help us to respond to Jesus with our whole lives for his glory, our good, and the joy of our city, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church, North Adelaide. We hope you found it helpful, and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church, or to donate to the work of City Light Church, North Adelaide, visit us at citylight.church/northadelaide.